everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we've operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system, in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have Sacramento Area Congregations Together, also known as SAC Act, and uh, we have Talitha Floyd uh, joining us. Welcome. Hello, thank you. So what is SAC Act? Well, as you said, it's Sacramento Area Congregations Together. Um, We exist to activate people to reclaim their faith, to create change and healing in the community. And so what kind of work do you guys do? Wow, we do. We do so much. Basically, we have a great wheelhouse of women that work in a lot of different areas. Um, We have Live Free, um, environmental justice, uh, education, homelessness and housing. We have Muslim work that we're doing, as well as other issues that we cut in the community when emergencies arise. And um, what religious groups are part of SAC Act? Well, we currently have over 56 members, many of which are religious congregations, but the majority of our congregations come from Abrahamic faith religious traditions. So we have members who don't actually identify with faith institutions also, um, but they share a vision of building a healthy and thriving community. We have examples like uh, care, mutual housing, and other faith-motivated individuals. And so describe some of the current projects or target areas that you guys are working on. That would be my pleasure. There's so much that we do. Um, Currently in our network of LOCs, we're cutting issues in uh, violence prevention, which is live free. Um, We are closing the gap of achievement with success and advocacy through education. Um, We have a past program. We are working with the city, San Juan Unified School District, and Sacramento City. Um, Through our climate justice, we're working to ensure that transitions to green economics and green infrastructure don't result in displacement of low-income communities, specifically um, those of color who are experiencing the impact of climate change through health equities, unhealthy work conditions, you know, things like that. Um, We have a large focus on homelessness and housing. We're continuing advocacy from a progressive affordability and housing ordinance, producing future affordability housing to protect current renters and to preserve our current housing stock. 
Um, so, so talk a little bit, you know, about the homeless problem. I know it's, it's a huge concern in the Sacramento area. Um, and did you work on the recent, uh, initiative there? Yes, yeah, Sacramento Act and our colleague, my colleague there, they did definitely work on that initiative out of our office. That was something that they put a lot of research into. Um, there was a lot of behind the scenes advocacy going to city council meetings, uh, board of supervisor meetings uh, to get legislations put on ballots so that we could maintain um, legal legislation to keep people in their homes and to build safe housing for people that are unhoused. From your perspective, um, why why are we suddenly dealing with, it, it seemed like for a long time, homelessness was not on the radar. And now in the last five years or so, we're dealing with huge homelessness problems. Uh, do you have any sense for that? I mean, I've been in Sacramento County for quite some time, 25 years, and realistically, making sure that we have the income stability to be able to keep people in homes has really been what the cause of homelessness is. The increased raising of rents and the zoning practices and the Airbnbs popping up everywhere have afforded over these 25 years the, the dwindling structure of people being able to stay and maintain in their homes. Um, and, and so, what do you guys do to help support people that are uh, that are housing insecure? Well, currently we have an organizer um, that is working in the Muslim community through Mashida Sabor, and they work on large homelessness um, issues where they're gathering supplies annually um, on a quarterly basis to make sure that infrastructure and support and supplies are provided to that community. But not only that, they're creating a new um, listening session structure where they're teaching the organizations and the community members how to engage with city and county members so that the voices of the community can truly be heard. So advocacy and getting the actual solutions to the problem in front of the people that make the decisions, that's really what is coming out of Sacramento Act right now and our leadership and our LOCs. Now I want to uh, shift a little um... I understand that uh, on Monday, um, SAC Act is one of the partners that are going to be speaking at a press conference on the jail expansion. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about uh, that and the concerns about the jail expansion proposal at the Board of Supervisors? Absolutely. Um, this is this is what I like to call a baby of mine, Sacramento Act. I am a live free organizer, and this is something that I am leading out of our SAC Act office with our um, leaders there. And this is not the first time. This is not the second time. This is the third time that the county has presented to fund the resourcing of increasing the beds at the Sacramento County Jail. This time it's for the purpose of mental health support services. So basically they're wanting to turn uh, mental health issues into a carceral system issue um, because, you know, putting some flowers and nice blankets in a, in a jail is still a jail. 
Um, so that is the main issue. Instead of supporting outside structures, outside grassroots community organizations that can stop or create transformative justice models um, that keep and prevent our community members from even being in jail, uh, that's what the real issue is. Um, instead of funding a continued Band-Aid and furthered problem, they would need to focus on creating preventative measures, which is something the community has been asking for for over 20 years. Now, is this part of the governor's care program? Yes, it is. This is something he definitely stands behind, which is interesting to me because at the city and county level, we have representatives like our new district attorney that claimed that they were going to decrease the amount of um, people that were going to be in the Sacramento County Jail. So now we're deciding that we want to expand the Sacramento J County Jail. So my only question is, how do those two things go together? Um, the constituency was told we were going to decrease that and start funding into community advocacy and things that would create barriers from going to jail. And now we're wanting as a whole part of a campaign to now increase the beds. So those two things don't make sense. And I think the community heard that now and they're, they're wanting to stand in against that and ask, why is this happening? And, you know, this, this is obviously a, a big concern um, that, you know, um, the, the state is looking at this kind of coerced treatment uh, program across the state and and not putting the resources into mental health care that really is needed um, and instead kind of treating this as, hey, let's throw a bunch of people into cages as our means for mental health treatment, right? Right, right. And it's been long overdue. The mental health crisis has been rising alongside the homelessness crisis for quite some time. And I, I don't understand why they're now trying to not only incarcerate those that they've unhoused, but they're also trying to incarcerate those that they have not provided mental health services for. So it's looking as though when they can't come up with a solution, it's just put them in a cage and we'll figure it out later. And you've mentioned that they've already proposed and uh, eventually rejected jail expansion several times. Uh, what, what's the alternative? Uh, what are you guys looking for instead of expanding jail capacity? Investing into the community, investing into mental health service programs, investing into youth service programs, investing into wraparound support service programs, investing into those things that keep our people able to live free. Those are the things that need to be invested into. Small community-based organizations have been doing it for lifetimes, but they don't have the funds to continue to, in, to can maintain what it is they're doing. They can help one person at a time realistically with the wraparound services that are truly needed to catch someone from falling into the system. Yeah, it just seems like this is not even a cost-effective model, right? Because, uh, you know, I, the amount of money we spend to incarcerate a person uh, for a year is a huge amount of money that could be going elsewhere uh, to support the system. That is absolutely correct. And our government deemed such for our, our youth in California. The youth authority system has now been closed. 
So they deemed it not adequate for our children. So why is this structure still created for our homelessness system, still created for our brothers and sisters that have mental health issues? If we're saying those that are at risk are orphans, are houseless, are those that have been left behind, when are they going to be invested into? Why do we continue to invest into something that is breaking people? Because when they come out there, there is no investment into the rehabilitation services or the reentry services. Those are those are even other things that they could focus on investing into if they're going to continue to incarcerate our brothers and sisters. Where is the future when they come out? Those are more viable structures that need to be invested into because all of those things cipher in from one into the other. Crime is because of mental health issues. If you resolve the mental health issues, you decrease the crime, you decrease the people that are going to jail. Housing creates stress. <laughs> That's a mental health issue, which then creates crime. If they're not wanting to lose their mind, they're wanting to get what they need. So it's one that feeds into the other. So if you resolve those economic struggles and people have places to stay and places to stabilize their emotions, we, we wouldn't even need a jail. Yeah, and I, 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 you know, this feeds right into a conversation. It seems like I have every single time um, that that we've created a system that uh, almost ensures that we have recidivism, that we incarcerate people, uh, and then we hold them there for a period of time, and then we throw them out into the world without the resources by which to survive and we actually make it harder for them uh to survive because uh somebody released from prison or jail uh has a hard time getting jobs they don't get uh adequate mental health treatment they haven't gotten trauma informed care um you know it becomes hard for them to get stable housing if you don't have stable housing i mean you know this this feeds right into the homelessness issue right if you don't have stable housing, how are you going to get the services that you need to be able to, to survive? And so we make this impossible for people not to commit more crimes, not to uh, stay out of prison and jails. And that is absolutely correct. Um, is recidivism is, I believe that they've developed these systems for capitalism over people. You know, it's a private system and it's continuing to become more privatized. You know, we're spending our tax dollars to funnel into that system. And when did we ever really articulate the option that when you make a mistake, that you get to be put in a cage? Who voted for that? Why is that still a thing here in California? Let's talk about that. <laughs> the reality is why in a society where we know that the system has created holes that people have been allowed to fall into, are we now feeding further into that beast and penalizing those people that have fallen into the hole and creating a system that keeps them trapped there? It just doesn't make sense. And, you know, there are a very small percentage of people that are truly dangerous and uh, that actually need to be incarcerated for the safety of society. But most people that, that end up incarcerated really aren't dangerous to society. They, they need uh, resources, they need help. And if they were able to get those, uh, that help, they would be uh, productive members of society or at least not a threat. 
That is correct. That is correct. The highest population in the jail system are people that are traumatized by society and they have fallen on bad luck and fallen into the system. There is 1% of the population that I do agree needs to be incarcerated and placed in cages and we all agree and know who those people are. But those that have been pushed up against brick walls and forced to do whatever they can do to survive, that's a lack of care and equity in their communities, in their the infrastructure that was built around them. It's not a fault. It's something that needs to be paid attention to and invested into so that it can be rectified. So can you talk a little bit about uh, the live free concept and model that you guys have uh, uh, created? Absolutely. It's a leader-led model that activates community members that are pretty much focused on coming up with solutions and problems in the community around what we believe it takes to live free and Right now, it's, we're focusing on VA accountability and participatory defense. Um, we like, we've coined the term in Live Free, Sacramento Acts Live Free, as transformative justice. Um, in most people's understanding, it's a series of practices and philosophies designed to create change in social systems. Mostly, um, they're alternatives to criminal justice in cases of interpersonal violence and other uses of dealing with social economic issues and societal transition ways to create conflicts from repression, things that have been created in society. I myself, I would define it as bringing the village back to a place of true equity. Only we begin to resolve community issues with community solutions. Criminality was created by a system. That same system, it can't be in charge of changing itself. The solutions are generally found where the problems occur. Sorry about that. Um, So um, how do you define uh, transformative justice and what does that look like? It looks like grassroots engagement. It looks like one-to-one conversations, base building, getting to know people. That is our Sacramento Act model. Transformative justice is the activation of what we do. So we have our one-to-one conversations, which build relationships, and it surfaces and lets us listen to people's concerns, which then allows us to focus on those concerns and seek out the people that can tell us how to resolve those concerns. And that's what we call our research. Once we've done our research and it's empowered us to know where the changes can be made, we then identify a solution. We take that solution to action. That action particularly looks like us uh, building power. We get into those rooms and spaces like what we're talking about on Monday, the jail expansion, and we voice the true voice of the community and what is needed, what is wanted, and what is offered an alternative. We evaluate, we reflect, and we do it all over again. To us at Sacramento Act, that's what transformative justice looks like really truly hearing the voice of those that are affected by what's happening in the community and taking it to action and creating a solution through their lens and taking it to the people that can actually make the change and demanding that those changes be made. That's transformative justice. Now, you talked about people's concerns. Whose concerns are we talking about? Which people? Community people, those of faith. Here at Sacramento Act, we function with the thought process. That's our superpower. That what brings us all together is our commonality of believing a moral faith that 
good should happen in the world. And how does that help people that are system impacted? In most faiths, it says that we are to take care of those that have been affected. So for me, it's a part of my service. It's what I do to give back to honor what I've been given by the creator, the freedom and the voice to speak for those that don't have the freedom and the voice to speak. And so can you, I I don't know if you have hands-on experience doing this, but what does this look like? I I mean, like, um, you know, like take us into that room. Uh, What does that conversation look like? Who's involved in it? Well, it's, it's people that have come to us. It's people that have responded to the call. Those that feel a concern, they want to sit down in the room. They're not quite sure what direction they want to go in, uh, what they're really concerned about. It looks like a lot of emotion. It looks like a lot of tears sometimes. It looks like a lot of um, realization. But what it looks like is authenticity, uh, where people come together of different mind frames, different faith bases. We can have Muslims, we can have Catholics, we can have Baptist people in the room, and they all have the same issue, and that's what binds them together. That's what allows them to know that good should happen out of this. And that's amazing because they they sit there, they sit their personal belief system in the front of everyone and say, this is what I believe and this is how common it is in my belief that we believe that. And we find out, I believe the same thing, even though I'm coming from a different faith system. And we find out we have more in common and that's why we like to call it the village because then we become accountable to each other. And once we become accountable to each other, we share each other's concerns. And once we share each other's concerns, we feel like we're each other's brothers and sisters, and we have to advocate for those concerns, where we have the privilege to advocate for those concerns. So that's when we then take that research, and those of us that are in there that have that skill set should go through that research and get in the right spaces and talk to the right people and share that information with the group. And now everyone is empowered to move forward to the County Board of Supervisors at 11 a.m. and stand and say, I am in disagreement with this because there are alternatives that can make our community better. And let me tell you how. Let me tell you why. And let me tell you how I'm connected to it. So that's what those spaces look like. And we, we every time an issue arises in the community, whether it's we need more garbage cans or we need people to be free, we take each one of those concerns and we shop them exactly the same way. So I'm curious as to how you personally got involved in this. <laughs> um, that is amazing. Uh, Sacramento Act is, I like to say, a place that um, found me before I was ever looking for it. Um, I, two and a half, said change years ago, was sent a job description that was everything that I am and did not realize it. I was working in a group home as an administrator, 17 hours a day, six days a week as the pandemic started, really trying to take care of two, two households with 30 staff and figure it all out. And my heart was calling me in a different direction because I was like, this is not all it could be. Things need to change. <laughs> These systems are not working. And um, 
I'm also a licensed ordained minister. So my church was doing a lot of work with Sacramento Act and had been for eight years. So that's how I got the job offer um, in my inbox. And I applied. And once I started working there within probably, you know, a couple of weeks, we're sitting in those rooms, sharing experiences, talking about our wins. And I realized that the Sacramento Act community agreement um, that was done when the Kings Arena was first promised to come to Sacramento. My boss, Gabby Trejo, her first act as a community organizer was to say, hey, you're, you're not going to displace people and you're going to make sure that you employ people that would never be employed before. Because of that dream and the leaders that followed through on that action, I was actually hired by the Sacramento Kings unannounced. I had sent in a resume, 500 people applied, 40 people were hired. I was one of those people. Um, at that time in my life, I was going through a lot. So it actually truly changed the direction of my life. I was able to start going to school, which actually led me down the path to be able to be eligible to apply for the job at Sacramento Act. So um, it is a place that I feel like I was destined to be at. Um, my passion met my faith, met my purpose, all in the same place. And I feel like I don't even have a job. I feel like every day I get up and I do what I was born to do, and I'm blessed to be able to be paid for it. Um, I feel like I'm the voice of my community because a lot of the issues that the community has struggled and gone through, myself, I am system impacted. Um, I am one of those people that has been affected by the carceral system, not personally, but everything close to me has been touched by it. Statistically, I'm one of those people that was um, deemed to be in the carceral system by the age of 16, 17. Um, but the God that I believe in and the purpose that he had for me lined me up with me being right here right now. So that's how I, that's how I believe I got to Sacramento Act. Long story short, long. <laughs> It's it's an amazing story. And, you know, the more I look into these community groups, it's just amazing the kind of work uh, that, that's going on, uh, really under the radar in, in a lot of cases. I mean, I feel like I feel like there's not enough attention paid to to this kind of work. We we focus on a lot of other stuff, um, but you know, the actual community work where people are working with system impacted people and trying to make a difference in their life doesn't get enough attention. It doesn't. And the catch 22 to that is a lot of those that do the work don't need the attention because that's not what they're in it for. So I believe that's the largest reason why you don't know. Um, a lot of it, it's just that they believe and love their community so much, it's a part of who they are. But it would be so wonderful <laughs> if people could invest into those small community people that we know are the heartbeat and the pulse of the community. Because although I you know, don't want to throw out any big names, but there are big organizations that say that they're doing what needs to be done for the community. And I promise you, if you sit down and you interview someone like me, it wasn't one of those organizations that came and saved me. It wasn't one of those organizations that caught me. It was a small mom and pop organization that didn't have enough money money, but had enough love to make sure that I was seen, noticed, and cared about enough to make it through the cracks in the system. Yeah, and I really agree having, you know, worked in this space for a long time and talked to countless people that, that do this kind of work um, and 
and also, you know, I, I talk all the time with people that are formerly incarcerated, currently incarcerated, um, and I'm just blown away by, you know, all these issues that have to get dealt with. And unfortunately, and I'll, I'll play a little devil's advocate on this, is that, well, you may not need the attention and maybe the people that you work with don't need the attention. The cause needs the attention. People need to understand the work that's going on and the resources that they need. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is not that is not playing into devil's advocate. That is that is actually pre- preaching to the choir because the the small town mom shop churches, small community based organizations, the little C4s that are running around advocating for small political heads. All of those people need investment. All of those those community organizations with the twos and fews that they get, they save families. Imagine if you invested thousands. They could save communities, whole communities, just by themselves because they're already trying. They just need the funds to do it. It would be so amazing to put an influx of funding into every small nonprofit organization that is doing work in every community that is said to not be thriving. I promise you in one year, you would see different results, different results. And they say, oh, we can't trust it because they don't have budgets big enough. Send in supports that can help support the budgets. Have brother and sister organizations that do have the financial knowledge and technology partner with those small organizations and give them what they need so that they can be able to serve the communities that deserve to be served. So that those community members are not having to go outside of their way to get services that are not curtailed and custom to the community that they're from. So can you tell us a, uh, a success story that you've personally worked with that might be able to share? <laughs> there are so <laughs> many things. Um, we have so many wins in the organization, um, but what I like to uplift, because COVID is such something that a lot of people are not paying attention to, and the resources that were given, it was the first time for people to really understand that resources can be given for any reason, for anything, kind of speaks into what we're doing right now. Um, during that time frame, Sacramento Act was given a grant to be able to outsource to the community services during COVID. And what we were able to do with that grant was to be able to create what we call community connect fairs all over Sacramento that were not only designed to be able to get vaccination websites and information and education to communities that were not receiving it, we were able to also orchestrate resources that were uniquely needed in those communities and have a day where the community could come out and receive free resources. Um, and this, this event, we, we did over 11 events in different communities all over Sacramento County. Um, they were very successful. We had people come out, get vaccinated, come out, get free food, come out, get haircuts, resume assistance, resources to get um, their medical insurance started, housing assistance, job assistance, mental health services, um, protection services, self-care services, uh, anything that you can imagine over a 
six month time frame, we were able to get at resource fairs in partnership and be able to give out gas cards and prizes um, to just bring hope to the community during a time where people were feeling hopeless and isolated in the home. We were able to help facilitate in partnership with other organizations delivering food to people's homes when they were sick, it couldn't leave for COVID. They were able to get personal shoppers to shop their shopping list and deliver food to their front door for everyone in their home, plus meals um, for everyone in their home for two weeks. And if they ran out or needed more, we were able to expense that too. We were able to get rides and childcare for people that needed to go test. There were just so many things that we were able to do during that time frame that were able to provide relief to our community. And we were able to do that um, all over Sacramento through our congregations. So it wasn't just Sacramento Act and our little staff there, because we're tiny but mighty. We were able to do that through the power of our congregation. So it was our community congregations and our ministers, leaders, our rabbis, our bishops, our imams that were opening their doors and saying, hey, we'll facilitate these things. And we were able to give them the funds and they were able to create these beautiful events for the community. So if I were to uplift any of the wins that we did, I would definitely uplift those wins because we were able to give back at a time where people felt hopeless. We were able to give hope and a lot of people, we were able to staff a group of people, seven individuals through our churches that were able to get hired at a higher wage of income than they would have got during minimum, than, than the minimum wage during a time frame where people weren't even able to go to work. So, you know, there were success stories. People were like, you were able to allow me to pay my rent during this time. So it was a very beautiful experience to be a part of that. If people want to get involved, if they support the work that you guys are doing, how can they go about doing that? You can definitely go to our Sacramento Act website. It was just giving Tuesday. Our link is on our website. So that's www.sacramentoact.org. And Sacramento area congregations, you can make contributions to any of our, any um, of our LOCs or directly to the organization. And we are a 365 day a year organization. We help all of the time. Our money does not go into our pockets. It gets distributed directly out to our community members. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing your work. It's really inspiring. Um, it's amazing some of the work going on in the community. Definitely is. We would not be able to do this work without our amazing leaders that come from our communities. We've been talking with Talitha Floyd from Sacramento Area Congregations Together, or SAC Act. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mouse Quake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.